the acceptable sacrifice or the excellency of a broken heart. Three, a wild or madman, if you set him to do anything and he does it, he will yet do it not by or according to your bidding, but after the folly of his own wild fancy. Even as Jehu executed the commandment of the Lord, he did it in his own madness, taking no heed to the commandment of the Lord, Second Kings 9.20 and 10.31. And thus do carnal men do when they meddle with any of God's matters as hearing, praying, reading, professing. They do all according to their own wild fancy. They take no heed to do these after the commandment of the Lord. For wild or mad men, if they deck or array themselves with aught as many times they do, why the spirit of their wildness or frenzy appears even in the mode and way in which they do it. Either the things themselves which they make use of for that purpose are very toys and trifles, or if they seem to be better, they are put on after an antic manner, rather to the rendering of them ridiculous than to bespeak them sober, judicious, or wise. And so do natural men array themselves with what they would be accepted in with God, would one in his wits think to make himself fine or acceptable to men by arraying himself in menstruous claws or by painting his face with dross and dung? And yet this is the finery of carnal men when they approach for acceptance into the presence of God. Isaiah 64, 6, Philippians 3, 7, and 8. All the wildness, the frenzy, the madness that possesses the heart and mind of carnal men, they walk according to the course of this world, according to or after that spirit, which is in truth the spirit of the devil, which worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. But do they believe that thus it is with them? No, they are in their own account, as other madmen are, the only ones in the world. Hence, they are so taken and tickled with their own frantic notions, and deride all else that dwell in the world. But which is the way to make one that is wild, or a madman sober, to let him alone will not do it, to give him good words only will not do it. No, he must be tamed. Means must be used to tame him. He brought down their hearts with labor, or by continual molestation, as you have it. Psalms 107, verse 10 through 12. He speaketh there of madmen, that are kept up in darkness and bound in afflictions and irons because they rebel against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. This, therefore, 
is the way to deal with such, and none but God can so deal with them. They must be taken. They must be separated from men. They must be laid in chains, in darkness, afflictions, and irons. They must be blooded, half-starved, whipped, purged, and be dealt with as mad people are dealt with. And thus they must be dealt with till they come to themselves and cry out in their distresses. And then they cry to the Lord in their troubles, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Then he brings them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and breaks their bands in sunder. Psalms 107, verse 13 through 15. Thus I say, God tames the wild, and brings mad prodigals to themselves, and so to him for mercy. Ninth, man as he comes into the world is not only a dead man, a fool, proud, self-willed, fearless, a false believer, a lover of sin, and a wild man, but a man that disrelishes the things of the kingdom of God. I told you before that unconverted man is such as did not taste things, but now I add that he disrelishes things. He calls bitter things sweet and sweet bitter. He judges quite amiss. These are they that God threateneth with a woe. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5, 20. This latter part of this text shows us evidently that the things of God are disrelished by some. They call his sweet things bitter, and the devil's bitter things sweet. And all this is for want of a broken heart. A broken heart relishes otherwise than a whole or unbroken one does. A man that has no pain or bodily distress cannot find or feel virtue or good in the most sovereign placer. Were it applied to arm or leg, no, he rather says, away with these stinking, daubing things. Oh, but lay the same placers where there is need, and the patient will relish and taste and savor the goodness of them. Yea, will prize and commend them to others. Thus it is in spirituals. The world, they know not what the anguish or pain of a broken heart means. They say, who will show us any good? That is, better than we find in our sports, pleasures, estates, and preferments. There be many, says the psalmist, speak after this sort. But what says the distressed man? Why, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. And then adds, Thou hast put gladness in my heart. 
namely, by the light of thy countenance, for that is the plaster for a broken heart. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increases. Psalms 4, verse 1 through 7. Oh, a broken heart can savor pardons, can savor the consolations of the Holy Ghost. Yea, as a hungry or thirsty man prizes bread and water in the want thereof, so do the broken in heart prize and set a high esteem on the things of the Lord Jesus, His flesh, His blood, His promise, and the light of His countenance are the only sweet things both to scent and taste to those that are of a wounded spirit. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, the whole despise the gospel. They savor not the things that are of God. If twenty men were to hear a pardon read, and but one of those twenty were condemned to die, and the pardon was for none but such, which of these men, think you, would taste the sweetness of that pardon? They who are not, or he that was condemned? The condemned man, doubtless, this is the case in hand. The broken in heart is a condemned man. Yea, it is a sense of condemnation with other things that has indeed broken his heart, nor is there anything but sense of forgiveness that can bind it up or heal it. But could that heal it? Could he not taste, truly taste, or rightly relish this forgiveness? No, forgiveness would be to him as it is to him that has not sense of want of it. But I say, what is the reason some so prize what others so despise? Since they both stand in need of the same grace and mercy of God in Christ. Why? The one sees and the other sees nothing of this woeful, miserable state. And thus have I showed you the necessity of a broken heart. One, man is dead and must be quickened. Two, man is a fool and must be made wise. Three, man is proud and must be humbled. Four, Man is self-willed and must be broken. Five, man is fearless and must be made to consider. Six, man is a false believer and must be rectified. Seven, man is a lover of sin and must be weaned from it. Eight, man is wild and must be tamed. Nine, Man disrelishes the things of God and can take no savor in them until his heart is broken. 5. The reasons why a broken heart is esteemed by God such an excellent thing. And thus have I done with this. 
and shall come next to the reasons of the point, namely to show you why or how it comes to pass that a broken heart, a heart truly contrite, is to God such an excellent thing, that to Him it is so we have proved by six demonstrations what it is we have showed by the six signs thereof that it must be is manifest by those nine reasons but now urged and why it is with God or in his esteem an excellent thing that is shown by that which follows first a broken heart is the handiwork of God and heart of his own preparing for his own service. It is a sacrifice of his own providing, of his providing for himself. As Abraham said in another case, God will provide himself a lamb. Genesis 22, verse 8. Hence it is said, the preparations of the heart in man and so forth is from the Lord. And again, God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me. Job 23, verse 16. The heart, as it is by nature hard, stupid, and impenetrable, so it remains and so will remain, until God, as was said, bruiseth it with his hammer, and melts it with his fire. The stony nature of it is therefore said to be taken away of God. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you, saith he, an heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36. Verse 26, I will take away the stony heart, or the stoniness, or the hardness of your heart, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That is, I will make your heart sensible, soft, wieldable, governable, and penitent. Sometimes he bids men rend their hearts, not because they can, but to convince them, rather, that though it must be so, they cannot do it. So he bids them make themselves a new heart and a new spirit for the same purpose also. For if God doth not rent it, it remains unrent. If God makes it not new, it abides an old one still. This is that that is meant by his bending of men for himself, and of his working in them that which is pleasing in his sight. Zechariah 9, verse 13. The heart, soul, or spirit, as in itself, as it came from God's fingers, a precious thing, a thing in God's account worth more than all oracles, this heart, soul, or spirit, sin has hardened. The devil has bewitched. The world has deceived. This heart, 
thus beguiled, God coveteth and desireth. My son, saith he, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Proverbs 23, verse 26. This man cannot do this thing, for that his heart has the mastery of him, and will not but carry him after all manner of vanity. What now must be done? Why, God must take the heart by storm, by power, and bring it to a compliance with the word. But the heart of itself will not. It is deluded, carried away to another than God. Wherefore, God now betakes him to his sword, and bring down the heart with labor, opens it, and drives out the strong man armed that did keep it, wounds it, and makes it smart for its rebellion, that it may cry, so he rectifies it for himself. He maketh sore, and bindeth up. He woundeth, and his hands make whole. Job 5.18 Thus, having wrought it for himself, it becomes his habitation, his dwelling place, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Ephesians 3:17. But I would not swerve from the thing in hand. I have told you, a broken heart is the handiwork of God, a sacrifice of his own preparing, a material fitted for himself. One by breaking of the heart, he openeth it, and makes it a receptacle for the graces of his Spirit. That is the cabinet. When unlocked, where God lays up the jewels of the gospel, there he puts his fear. I will put my fear in their hearts. There he writes his law. I will write my law in their hearts. There he puts his spirit. I will put my spirit within you. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 33. Jeremiah 32, verse 39 through 41. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. The heart, I say, God chooses for his cabinet. There he hides his treasure. There is a seat of justice mercy, and of every grace of God. I mean when it is broken, made contrite, and so regulated by the Holy Word. Two, the heart when broken is like sweet gums and spices when beaten, for as such cast their fragrant scent into the nostrils of men, so the heart when broken casts its sweet smells in the nostrils of God. The incense, which was a type of prayer of old, was to be beaten or bruised, and so to be burned in the censer. The heart must be beaten or bruised, and then the sweet scent will come out. Even groans and cries and sighs for the mercy of God which cries and so forth. To him 
are a very excellent thing and pleasing in his nostrils. Second, a broken heart is in the sight of God an excellent thing because a broken heart is submissive. It falleth before God and giveth to him his glory. All this is true from a multitude of scriptures which I need not here mention. Hence such a heart is called an honest heart, a good heart, a perfect heart, a heart fearing God, and such as is sound in God's statutes. Now this cannot but be an excellent thing if we consider that by such a heart unfeigned obedience is yielded unto him that calleth for it. Ye have obeyed from the heart, says Paul, to them at Rome, that form of doctrine which was delivered you, Romans 6, verse 17. Alas, the heart before it is broken and made contrite is quite of another temper. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The great stirrer before the heart is broken is about who shall be Lord, God, or the sinner. True, the right of dominion is the Lord's, but the sinner will not suffer it, but will be all himself saying, Who is Lord over us? And again say they to God, We are Lord's. We will come no more unto thee. Psalms 12, verse 4, Jeremiah 2, verse 31. This also is evident by their practice. God may say what he will, but they will do what they list. Keep my Sabbath, says God. I will not, says the sinner. Leave your whoring, says God. I will not, says the sinner. Do not tell lies, nor swear, nor curse, nor blaspheme my holy name, says God. Oh, but I will, says the sinner. Turn to me, says God. I will not, says the sinner. The right of dominion is mine, says God. But like that young rebel, 1 Kings 1 and 5, I will be king, says the sinner. Now this is intolerable. This is unsufferable. And yet every sinner by practice says thus, for they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Here can be no concord, no communion, no agreement, no fellowship. Here, here is enmity on the one side and flaming justice on the other. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-16, Zechariah 11, verse 8. And what delight, what content, what pleasure can God take in such men? None at all. No, though they should be mingled with the best of the saints of God. Yea, though the best of saints should supplicate for them. Thus says Jeremiah, Then said the Lord unto me, 
though Moses and Samuel stood before me, that is, to pray for them, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. Jeremiah 15, verse 1. Here is not but open war, acts of hostility, and shameful rebellion on the sinner's side. And what delight can God take in that? Wherefore, if God will bend and buckle the spirit of such an one, he must shoot an arrow at him, a bearded arrow, such as may not be plucked out of the womb, an arrow that will stick fast and cause that the sinner falls down as dead at God's foot. Psalms 33, verse 1 and 2. Then will a sinner deliver up his arms and surrender up himself as one conquered into the hand of and beg for the Lord's pardon and not till then. I mean, not sincerely. And now God has overcome, and his right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. Now he rides in triumph with his captive at his chariot wheel. Now he glories. Now the bells in heaven do ring. Now the angels shout for joy. Ye are bid to do so. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now also the sinner as a token of being overcome lies groveling at his foot, saying, Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Psalms 45, verse 3 through 5. Now the sinner submits. Now he follows his conqueror in chains. Now he seeks peace and would give all the world were it his own to be in the favor of God and to have hopes by Christ of being saved. Now this must be pleasing. This cannot but be a thing acceptable in God's sight. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. For it is the desire of his own heart, the work of his own hands. Third, another reason why a broken heart is to God such an excellent thing is this. A broken heart prizes Christ and has a high esteem for him. The whole have no need of a physician but the sick. This sick man is the broken hearted in the text. For God makes men sick by smiting of them, by breaking of their hearts. Hence sickness and wounds are put together for that the one is a true effect of the other. Mark 2, verse 17. Micah 6, verse 13. 
Hosea 5, verse 13. Can any think that God should be pleased when men despise his Son, saying, He hath no form, nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And yet so say they of him whose hearts God has not mollified. Yea, the elect themselves confess that before their hearts were broken, they set light by him also. He is, say they, despised and rejected of men, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. He is indeed the great deliverer. But what is a deliverer to them that never saw themselves in bondage, as was said before? Hence it is said of him that delivered the city. No man remembered that same poor man. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 15. He has sorely suffered and been bruised for the transgression of man, that they might not receive the smart and hell which by their sins they have procured to themselves. But what is that to them that never saw aught but beauty, and that never tasted anything but sweetness in sin? It is he that holdeth by his intercession the hands of God, and that causes him to forbear to cut off the drunkard, the liar, and unclean person, even when they are in the very act and work of their abomination. But their hard heart, their stupefied heart, has no sense of such kindness as this. And therefore, they take no notice of it. How many times has God said to this dresser of his vineyard, Cut down the barren fig tree, while he yet, by his intercession, has prevailed for a reprieve for another year. But no notice is taken of this. No thanks is from them returned to him for such kindness of Christ. Wherefore, such ungrateful, unthankful, inconsiderate wretches as these must needs be a continual eyesore, as I may say, and great provocation to God, and yet thus men will do before their hearts are broken. Luke 13, verse 6 through 9. Christ, as I said, is called a physician. Yea, he is the only sole physician. He heals, how desperate soever the disease be. Yea, and heals who he undertakes forever. I give unto them eternal life, and doth all of free cost of mere mercy and compassion. John 10, verse 28. But 
what is all this to one that neither sees his sickness, that sees nothing of a wound? What is the best physician alive, or all the physicians in the world, put all together to him that knows no sickness, that is sensible of no disease? Physicians, as was said, may go begging for all the helpful physicians are of no esteem, save only to the sick, or upon a supposition of being so now, or at any other time. Why, this is the cause Christ is so little set by in the world. God has not made them sick by smiling of them. His sword has not given them the wound. His dart has not been struck through their liver. They have not been broken with his hammer, nor melted with his fire. So they have no regard to his physician. So they slight all the provision which God has made for the salvation of the soul. But now, let such a soul be wounded, let such a man's heart be broken, let such a man be made sick through the sting of guilt, and be made to wallow himself in ashes under the burden of his transgressions. And then, who but Christ, as has been shown afore, then the physician, then wash me, Lord, then supple my wounds, then pour thy wine and oil into my sore. Then, Lord Jesus, cause me to hear the voice of joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Nothing now so welcome as healing, and so nothing, no man, so desirable now as Christ. His name to such is the best of names. His love to such is the best of love, himself being now not only in himself, but also to such a soul the chiefest of ten thousand, Psalms 5 and 10, as bread to the hungry, as water to the thirsty, as light to the blind, and liberty to the imprisoned. So in a thousand times more, is Jesus Christ to the wounded, and to them that are broken-hearted. Now, as was said, this must needs be excellent in God's eyes, since Christ Jesus is so glorious in his eyes, to contemn what a man counts excellent is an offense to him, but to value, esteem, or think highly of that, which is of esteem with me. This is pleasing to me. Such an opinion is excellent in my sight. What says Christ? My Father loveth you because ye love me. John 16, verse 27. Who hath an high esteem for Christ? The Father hath an high esteem for them. Hence it is said, he that hath the Son hath the Father. The Father will be his. 
and will do for him as a father, who receiveth and sets an honorable esteem on his son. But none will, none can do this but the brokenhearted, because they, and they only, are sensible of the want and worth of an interest in him. I dare appeal to all the world as to the truth of this, and do say again that these and none but these have hearts of esteem in the sight of God. Alas, the heart of the wicked is little worth, for it is destitute of a precious esteem of Christ, and cannot but be destitute because it is not wounded, broken, and made sensible of the want of mercy by him. Proverbs 10, verse 20. Fourth, a broken heart is of great esteem with God because it is a thankful heart for that sense of sin and of grace it has received. The broken heart is a sensible heart. This we touched upon before. It is sensible of the dangers which sin leadeth to, yea, and has cause to be sensible thereof because it has seen and felt what sin is, both in the guilt and punishment that by law is due thereto. As a broken heart is sensible of sin, in the evil nature and consequences of it, so it is also sensible of the way of God's delivering the soul from the day of judgment. Consequently, it must be a thankful heart. Now he that praises me glorifies me, saith God, and God loves to be glorified. God's glory is dear unto him. He will not part with that. Psalms 50:23, Isaiah 42 and 8. The brokenhearted, say I, for as much as he is the sensible soul, it follows that he is the thankful soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, said David, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Behold, what blessing of God is here, and yet not content herewith. He goes on with it again, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. But what is the matter? Oh, he has forgiven all thine iniquities, and healed all thy diseases. He has redeemed thy life from destruction, and crowneth thee with loving kindnesses and tender mercies. Psalms 103, verse 1 through 4. But how came he to be affected with this? Why, he knew what it was to hang over the mouth of hell for sin. Yea, he knew what it was for death and hell 
to beset and compass him about. Yea, they took hold of him, as we have said, and were pulling of him down into the deep. This he saw to the breaking of his heart. He saw also the way of life and had his soul relieved with faith and sense of that, and that made him a thankful man. If a man who has had a broken leg is but made to understand that by the breaking of that he kept from breaking of his neck, he will be thankful to God for a broken leg. It is good for me, said David, that I have been afflicted. I was by that preserved from a great danger, for before that I went astray. Psalms 119, 67, and 71. And who can be thankful for a mercy that is not sensible that they want it? Have it, and have it of mercy. Now this, the brokenhearted, this the man that is of a contrite spirit is sensible of, and that with reference to mercies of the best sort, and therefore must needs be a thankful man, and so have a heart of esteem with God, because it is a thankful heart. Fifth, a broken heart is of great esteem with or an excellent thing in the sight of God, because it is a heart that desires now to become a receptacle or habitation for the spirit and graces of the Spirit of God. It was the devil's hold before, and was contented so to be. But now it is for entertaining of, for being possessed with the Holy Spirit of God. Create in me a clean heart, said David, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, uphold me with thy free spirit. Psalms 51, verse 10 through 12. Now he was for a clean heart and a right spirit. Now he was for the sanctifying of the blessed spirit of grace, a thing which the uncircumcised in heart resist and do despite unto. Acts 7, verse 51, Hebrews 10, verse 29. A broken heart, therefore, suiteth with the heart of God. A contrite spirit is one spirit with him. God, as I told you before, covets to dwell with the broken in heart, and the broken in heart desire communion with him. Now here is an agreement, a oneness of mind, 
Now the same mind is in thee, which was also in Christ Jesus. This must needs be an excellent spirit. This must needs be better with God and in his sight than thousands of rams or ten thousand rivers of oil. But does the carnal world covet this, this spirit and the blessed graces of it? No, they despise it. As I said before, they mock at it. They prefer and countenance any sorry, dirty lust, rather. And the reason is because they want a broken heart, that heart so highly in esteem with God, and remain for want thereof in their enmity to God. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.